Let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. As once again as I have done in my previous few messages, I have decided to start with chapter 1 of Colossians in our reading to set the context and stage for the message. Colossians 1 and verse 18. And He is the head of the body, that He is whom? Christ Jesus our Lord. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. And now, turn over to chapter 4 and verse 2. Chapter 4 and verse 2, where Paul writes, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the Word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I might... Make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And if we note the parallel text that Paul wrote at the same season of his life over in Ephesians 5, just back a few pages in your Bible to Ephesians 5 and verse 15, this is what he writes there. Look carefully then, Ephesians 5 verse 15, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time Because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. This is God's inspired, His perfect, His unfailing word. Let us hear it together this morning. As I read the words of chapter 1 of Colossians, It struck me that these words are words that describe Jesus in extraordinary terms. He is one of grand and glorious position in this cosmos. He is first. He is preeminent. He is the one in whom the fullness of God dwells in a bodily form. By these claims, Jesus and His disciples declare to us that Jesus is Lord. And that that really is the only option when hearing about Him. As we hear these claims, we we have to think, either Jesus is who He claimed to be, or He is a fool or a fraud. 
He said that he was equal with the Father. He said that he was going to be exalted to the Father's right hand. He is the one who said, He who has seen me has seen the Father. He made all these claims. My friend, he is either who he says he is, or he's a fool who is deluded into thinking he is this, or he is a fraud, and the greatest fraud in the history of the world. There are many who say of Jesus that he was a good man, a good teacher, but not God and not Lord. Friends, that option is not available to you. He is who he said he is, or else he's a fraud, not a good man. He is Lord or he is a lunatic, thinking he was Lord. Each of us needs to wrestle with the implications of texts like this. Um, he is preeminent and in him all the fullness of God dwells. And being Lord, chapter 1 says, he is reconciling or bringing back together all that belongs together and has been separated. In Colossians 1 and 2, Jesus is in first place in the cosmos and as Lord of all, He is reconciling us to God. Bringing us back into fellowship with the Creator. And then in chapter 3, He is the one who reconciles Greek and Jew and barbarian and uncircumcised and circumcised and slave and free. He is all and in all. He is bringing all different kinds of human beings back together again as it was meant to be in the first place. And then later in chapter 3, we have seen that He is reconciling our marriages. He is reconciling our parent-child relationships. He is reconciling our workplace relationships. And now in chapter 4, verses 2 through 6, we see that He is reconciling the world to Himself. All those who are outside the church, He is reconciling them to Himself through the ministry of men like Paul and we're seeing now in verses 5 and 6 through our ministry as well. We are called by God to be agents or ambassadors of reconciliation. This text calls to mind 2 Corinthians 5 verses 19 through 21. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself. Not counting, listen to this, not counting their trespasses against them. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. We, as believers in Jesus Christ, are called to be ambassadors or agents of reconciliation. Whatever other work we're doing in our life, whatever other causes we engage in our lives, this must be the priority cause and the 
priority work of our lives that we are imploring people to be reconciled to God. That we are recognizing the fact that human beings, apart from the grace of God, are alienated from God. They're estranged from God. They are far away from God. They have no interest in God. And they are under the just and righteous judgment and wrath of God. They desperately need to be reconciled to God. And God in Christ is reconciling us to Himself. Not, not, Counting our trespasses against us. Forgiving us through the blood of the cross. This is our calling. I was thinking about it this week. It's so good to see all of you and to see how God is working in so many hearts and so many lives. But if you look around, you see a lot of empty seats, right? A lot of empty seats. I want to encourage you, as I've been encouraging my own heart this week, to think of these empty seats, each and every one of them, as representing somebody who needs to be reconciled to God. Let's make it our aim to be ambassadors and agents of reconciliation. And let's, let's see this place filled by the grace of God, not for the sake of numbers, but for the sake of the salvation of many men, women, young people, and children who right now do not know the Savior. We are called to be agents of reconciliation. And can I offer this text to you this morning in this way? What I want us to do is to look at the anatomy of an ambassador or agent of reconciliation. What, what are the parts that make up an effective ambassador or agent of reconciliation? And here's, here's a summary statement and we'll unpack this over the next several minutes. God calls us. God calls us to be agents of reconciliation with wise feet, outward eyes, ready minds, gracious tongues, and urgent hearts. This is in the text in front of us. God calls us to be agents or ambassadors of reconciliation with wise feet and outward eyes and ready minds and gracious tongues and urgent hearts. Look with me at the text and you will see that each of these comes from the text. First, God calls us to be agents of reconciliation with wise feet. Verse 4 of Colossians 4, walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom. Set your feet in the right direction and walk in wisdom. Have wise feet. This metaphor, this image of walking as a way of life is found in many places in Scripture. It's, it's speaking of the fact that as Christians there is a, there is a step-by-step, forward-moving dimension to life. We don't come to faith in Christ and then boom, we're saved. And, and instantly we're in heaven. No, there's a walk. 
that has to follow. There is a step-by-step journey that has to be engaged. And it's a path that is before us of wisdom. And many of us would know that the beginning of wisdom is what? The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you want to walk wisely, it starts with reverencing God. It starts with taking God seriously. Paul helps us to expand that a bit over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 10. Listen. We urge you, brothers and sisters, to love more and more and to aspire to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own affairs and work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly toward outsiders and be dependent on nobody. So Paul said, this is what a wisdom walk looks like. It's what it means to to have wise feet. He says, walk out, walk forward, a life of ever-increasing love for one another. Walk out a quiet life, Paul says, not marked by anger and hostility and fighting and harshness. Walk out a life where you're minding your own affairs. Where you're busy, but you're not a busy body. And then walk out a hard-working life in which you work with your own hands so that you may provide for your own needs. When we walk foolishly, when we do not walk in the fear of the Lord, when we Walk foolishly, continuing with sins that should be done with by now. When we walk foolishly, conforming to this world. When we fail to love each other and are loud and brash and busybodies and all the rest. uh, We are not wise. And our lack of wisdom will hinder our work as agents and ambassadors for Christ. How wisely we walk usually determines how well people will hear. How wisely we walk usually will determine how well people will hear. If we walk foolishly, they will think we're fools. If we walk wisely, they may well think this is worth listening to. How wisely we walk will usually determine how well people will hear. I say usually, Because it's not always. There are times when you can walk wisely and people will still get mad at you and not listen to you. But I can assure you, they will get mad at you if you don't walk wisely. Paul calls us to have wise feet. And then, God calls us to be agents of reconciliation with wise feet and outward eyes. A vision for the outsider. Look at the text. Verse 5. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. He calls us to this, this outward look, not just an inward look. Paul was always looking outward. He was always looking out there. He was always seeking those, like his Savior and Master, seeking those who were lost. It matters. That we be looking for outsiders. You know, you know why it matters? Because they're outside. 
One of the saddest verses in the entire Bible is Revelation 22 and verse 15. Where after our Lord Jesus has revealed the glories of heaven to His Apostle, He says, outside, outside are the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices lies. Outside. Picture it, my friends. There is heaven. The gates of heaven have been opened to all who trust in Christ, but then they are closed and outside. Outside are those and these sins that Jesus mentions in Revelation. They sound like maybe they're the really bad sins, but if you understand them correctly, they are the sins that people commit every day of their lives. But without repentance, without faith in Christ, they're outside. We need an outside vision, don't we? It's not enough that we just look in on ourselves. It's not enough that we are just inward and internal. It's not enough that we just take care of each other. We need to be those who see the world as it is. The vast majority of people that you and I meet every day do not know Jesus Christ. And if they were to die right now, they would be on the outside looking in. We need an eye. Outward eyes. If we're going to be agents of reconciliation. Then we need ready minds. Look at verse 6. Let your speech always be gracious seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This is describing readiness. Paul is saying to us as believers, be always ready. Be always poised and prepared so that you may know how you ought to answer. The well-known verse that expands us even further 1 Peter 3, 14 and 15. Even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, listen to this, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Always be prepared to give an answer, an explanation for the hope that is in you. Do you have hope? Do you live in such a way that the people around you see that hope? And is that hope so evident, so obvious, so steady in the face of all of life's disappointments and heartaches that when they see that hope and see that steadiness, they say, please tell me how you got that. Where do you get such hope? Are you ready to give an answer? We've sung about the answer all morning in Christ alone. Are you ready to give an answer? Are you able? Just asking this, not for guilt's sake, I'm asking this to encourage and inspire. Are you able to give a reason for the hope that is in you? Do you know the reason? 
What is the hope? I'd like to suggest that um, in answering that question, there's, there's good news, and then there's bad news, and then there's amazing news. The good news is, Genesis chapter 1, we're all made in the image of God and therefore have tremendous value and worth in the sight of God. Worth so great and value so great that he was willing to give his own son to die for us. The bad news is Genesis 3. Adam and Eve and every human being ever since has fallen into sin and that image of God that in which we were created, that image has been tarnished and marred and, and messed up. But then there's great news. The eternal Son of God, out of love for us, came here to earth to bear our sin and our curse, to take it all away. He died in our place. He died for our sins. And He didn't just die so that we could be forgiven. He died so that we could be transformed. So that we could be those who see the image of God restored in us in its full measure so that one day we will sit with Him in glory and we will reign on thrones like He is going to reign on a throne. The, the hope that we have is this. Made in the image of God, fallen into sin, restored through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. And this is offered to anyone and everyone who will choose to have it. Are you ready to give an answer? We need to prepare our hearts and our minds so that when people ask questions or when opportunity presents itself, we have words to say. God calls us to be agents of reconciliation with wise feet, Outward eyes, ready minds, and gracious tongues. Look at verse 6. Let your speech always be gracious or with grace. Whenever we're talking to people who don't know Jesus, Let's make sure our words are gracious. That they are marked by. Clothed in. Bathed in. Presented in. Grace. What are gracious words? Well, they're, they're words that give grace to others. You know, there is a way to talk to other people that leaves them more grace-filled after the conversation than they were before the conversation. Words that build up and encourage and strengthen. They are words that give grace. They are words that show grace. That is, they are charitable and forgiving and upbuilding. They don't cancel or judge 
prejudicially or uncharitably. I'm I'm thinking of Paul in the city of Athens. You remember this in in Acts chapter 17. Paul is going all over the Mediterranean world telling people about Jesus. And he, he goes into the city of Athens where they have thousands of images and idols all over the place. And, and, uh, I think if I think of me and how I have often borne witness for Christ, I probably would have gone into Athens and denounced them all for all their idolatry. But what does Paul do? Paul says, I see that you are very religious. And you even have an idol to the unknown God. I see that you're very religious. And you're even leaving room for the fact that there may be a God you don't know yet, that you need to know. And I'm here to declare to you who that God is. But the graciousness of His words, I see that you're religious. That is good. Now let me point you to Jesus. Our words need to be gracious. They need to give grace to others. They need to show grace to others. Our words need not only to give and show grace, they need to pray grace for others. It's been a long time since I've done this, and I'm not quite exactly sure why, but I was reminded of it recently when I was with some new friends uh, who were having lunch and we were ordering from the waiter uh, and um, my friend, before we started eating, said to the waiter, hey, we're going to pray here in just a moment for this food. Is there anything we can pray for for you? Sounds like Bill Davis. Yes, it does. Uh, there, there are some who just are ready to pray grace onto others into others. It's a beautiful thing. Our words should give grace. Our words should show grace. Our words should pray grace. Our words should proclaim gospel grace. Let us proclaim that Jesus is Lord. Let us proclaim that He died for our sins. Let us proclaim that He rose from the dead. Let us proclaim that He is alive today. Let us proclaim that He is a Prince and a Savior who is eager and ready to forgive all our sins. Let us proclaim that that salvation and forgiveness is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And there's no need for you to add your money to it or your works to it or your merit to it or your religiosity to it. It is a free gift. You say, that's all I have to do is repent and believe in Jesus? Yes, that's all you have to do. That seems too good to be true. It's not too good to be true. It's almost too good to believe, but it is true. Proclaim it. Paul says, always have your speech be gracious. Speak in such a way that you are giving grace to others, that you are showing grace to others, that you are praying grace over others, and that you are offering the grace of God 
in the gospel. And finally, God calls us to be agents of reconciliation with wise feet, outward eyes, ready minds, gracious tongues, and urgent hearts. Brothers and sisters, there is no time to waste. Look at verse 5. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of, or literally redeeming, or buying back the time. The implication is that the time is not forever. Time is a commodity with a limited shelf life. Time is not in unlimited supply. Time is precious and time is short and we need to seize it and use it before it runs out. One way or another, the time is short. Either Jesus will come for us in the next few minutes or hours or days or weeks, or we will go to Him. He either will come for us or we will go to Him, but the time is short. I am 63 years old. My dad was 81 when he died. Does that leave me 18 years to go? See, that's morbid. No, it's wise. 18 years to go, give or take, as God wills. When he says, my work is done, then he'll call me home. But my work is not done until he calls me home. And in the meantime, I am to have a sense of urgency. Paul adds to this, friends, Over in the Ephesians text, Ephesians 5 and verse 15, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are what? Evil. It reminds me of 2 Timothy 3. Understand this. And tell me, friends, if this doesn't describe our times and our day, Understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. I'd say that that pretty much nails it for the times in which we live. And Paul says, in these last days, that's, that means from the moment Jesus ascended back up into heaven until the moment He returns, in these last days, this is going to be the world we live in. It is going to be evil days and evil times. And Paul does not do here what a lot of Christians do as the days grow evil. A lot of Christians isolate and retreat. Paul says, no, it's time to advance and move forward. It is urgent because the time is short and the days are evil. The time is short 
and the days are evil. Do not be discouraged, and I speak to my own heart. Do not be discouraged. Do not be afraid. Do not be fearful. Do not withdraw. Do not retreat. Do not disengage because you're looking all around you and seeing the world fall apart. Paul says, no, look all around you and see the world fall apart and realize the time is short and get to work. And get to work. There is an urgency of heart that Paul is talking about here. We must be agents of reconciliation with urgent hearts. The days are evil and the time is short. And so my friends, I wonder how much of a sense of urgency do we have? Are we living as if on the edge of eternity? with our hearts and minds aware day by day the time is short and the days are evil. Therefore, I must be always ready to give an answer. Always praying for open doors. Always asking God to stir me toward others. And to be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in us. Is this how we're living? We are concluding our first year in this building. There's lots of empty seats. Can I suggest that this is the time? This is the time to catch the vision for what God wants to do in Delaware County. This is the time to perhaps stir ourselves from stillness and quietness and maybe a little bit of slumber to realize the time is short and the days are evil. Let us be about the Father's work. Let us be those who are constantly looking for opportunities. Let us be those who are constantly inviting people to worship with us. We have, as, as many of you would know, and we have these available in the back there, little come and see cards. You remember in John chapter 1 where uh, one man was wondering about Je- this Jesus and his claim and the other man said, just come and see. Just come and see. Brothers, sisters, friends, let's invite people. Let's say, come and see. Just come and see what God is doing. Let's pass the word. Let's be ambassadors. Let's be agents of reconciliation. Because we live in a world that is quickly perishing. The time is short. And the days are evil. And so Paul says to us, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Making the best use of your time. Let your speech Always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so you may know how you ought to answer each person. This is God's word to us. No less to us than it was to the Colossians 2,000 years ago. This is God's word to us. As we close this morning, I have asked a couple of our Brothers in the Lord, if they would lead us in prayer.
that God would stir us up in this way. I've asked uh, Keith Munjin and Bill Davis if they would lead in prayer. Bill, I'm going to ask both of you if you would stand where you are, if you could make it clear so that all could hear, and just pray, and then I'll close in prayer. And brothers, sisters, let's join hearts here. Let's, let's be like the church in Acts chapter 5. They got together and they prayed, Oh Lord, give us your spirit that we might proclaim boldly and fearlessly and powerfully the news that Jesus is Lord. Let's, let's join hearts. Bill, if you would lead us, please.